Hey, thanks for listening to the UDR cast. If you appreciate the kind of in-depth conversation and insight into recovery, make sure to sign up as a member. Most of our members pitch in 5 or 10 bucks a month, the price of a few coffees. To make this happen, you can sign up at the website at billward.life. The UDR cast is not affiliated and does not represent any 12-step fellowship. I, Bill Ward, the host of the UDR cast, will be sharing my experience and my journey of recovery. That does include, but is not limited to, the literature contained in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps. Our guests will be sharing their own path to recovery and what has worked for them. The UDR cast encourages and supports all paths to recovery. Welcome everybody to the UDR cast. UDR stands for Uncover, Discover and Recover. My name is Bill Ward and I'm coming to you from the recovery capital of Canada, Calgary, Alberta. Here we are going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives, different experiences, both with the people I know and with others from around the world. If you resonate with anything you've heard on this episode today, we ask that you share it with anyone who you think may benefit from it. If you have any questions or comments, please find us at BillWard.life and send us a message in the info section. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. If you are interested in more recovery content, you can find the buttons for the YouTube channel and other social media outlets on the homepage, and you will be redirected to those platforms. We can recover. One person, one family, one community at a time. Good afternoon, everyone. It's uh, Bill Ward with the UDR cast. Good to be back. It's been a little while since I recorded an episode. But you know what? Sometimes we got to take breaks from things and kind of get grounded again. So I'm back today. I'm doing an interview with somebody really special. She was a guest a little while back, shortly after her son had passed. And, uh, you know, courageously, she showed up and we did a good talk there. I don't know, it was probably about four months ago. And we've been trying to get together again. And uh, my good friend Robin S. is here today. And uh, Robin, good to have you back. Thanks for coming again. Thank you, William, for having me back on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm just curious as to, you know, I know you've been in school and you've been kind of running around and Mm. staying pretty busy. Mm -hmm. Um, How is the grieving process going? And, and, uh, How's life in general? Yeah, things have been been pretty insane. I, you know, as you know, I went right back into school, um, which was like three weeks after my son had passed away. And I'd already done a semester. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to try to do this again. And I did. And, um, and now, you know, I'm three semesters in. And it's been, it's been hard. Um, it's overwhelming. Um, Lots of times I have regrets not taking time off and actually properly grieving. So the grieving process is is really crazy. It's all over the place. And, you know, some moments I feel like I've got a good handle on it. And then a lot of moments I really don't. So it's been, yeah, all over the place. Mm. And the only problem was, I think, you know, um, a lot of lovely people thought it might be really good for me to be distracted instead of sitting around at home and, and being sad. And, um, yeah, and I, and I kind of felt the same, but yeah, not all the time. I don't. 
the film. So you've been really busy. Do mm-hmm. you like I know you're pretty in tune with yourself. You're pretty self-aware. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that you're giving yourself the proper balance in your grieving? Or do you find yourself maybe sometimes distracting yourself by staying busy? And I know other people are trying to keep you busy as well so that you don't kind of fall down that rabbit hole, right? But Mm. in your own perception with your own self-awareness, how do you feel like it's going, the grieving? And I know that's kind of an odd question, but uh, how do you think it's going? Are you staying balanced? Are you distracted or are you up and down? Yeah, I'm kind of up and down. Like the problem was, is, you know, I had spoken to the school to say, hey, I think I should probably take a semester off, you know, when I started to really um, feel horrible, you know, and just deeply saddened. And yeah, and then they basically said I'd have to wait another year, you know, to kind of get back in. And so for me, that was like torture, even the thought of that, because it's really already a difficult course. So Yeah. So I just decided to try to plug through it and um, try to manage my emotions as I went. So, you know, I got to say, like, some days are okay, And then there's days that are definitely not okay, And I am just trying to allow those days that are not okay to be there Mm -hmm. and try to manage them the best that I can. Um, Some days it's unbelievable to me, you know, how I'm getting through. yeah. And there's, there's lots of days, you know, people don't see that it, it is debilitating and mm. I'm, I'm, you know, curled up in a ball and a total mess. Mm. Yeah. So when these <clears throat> waves come and hit you, mm-hmm. are you able to, I've never experienced anything like you've experienced, right? And of course I'm not, and never will be a mother. So that's something that I can't fully relate to. But when you have these waves hit you, is it like, is it waves of like self-pity where like you're sad that like that you don't get like you don't have your son anymore? Or is it um, guilt that, you know, maybe you could have done something or maybe other family members or I don't know, but Mm. like, what are the waves and are you able to articulate like kind of what the feelings are and what they look like and like what the guilt, shame, anger, Mm. whatever deflection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I feel a lot of the time, you know, I'll kind of go back to, you know, the morning I found him, like we found him, um, my dad found him first. And then I, I stumbled upon the scene without ever, you know, I happened to be next door. So, you know, I, I keep going back to the what ifs, you know, what if I would have, you know, been there and gone into the house earlier, you know, would I have been able to save him, you know? Um, and you know, and of course I mourn all the time, the relationship that, that could have been right. You know, um, what he could have been had he not ever (laughs) picked up drugs. Um, and so, you know, and, and there's always that blame and shame as a parent, I think with every parent probably feels that even if you did the best that you could and you did everything, you still, there's still parts of you that is like, oh, maybe if I would have left my husband, you know, when the kids were little, you know, 
maybe it would have been better. They wouldn't have had to see so much crap. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, maybe if I would have had a better male role model for them, maybe that would have made a big difference. Right. So there's all these feelings, constant feelings and yeah. And those are debilitating to go through, you know, just the guilt and, and the shame and, and you go through, you know, just random things will pop into my head, like scenes, you know, that I had with him, um, you know, just crazy talks or, or things that, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said or something. And then it's like, oh man, I wish I could go back and, Mm. you know, change that moment. So when you think of some of the memories and a lot of them are good, right? Mm -hmm. Are you able to come out of that moment, like in a good place with the good memory, or is there always like a hint of sorrow kind of underlying it? Yeah, it's like I'll get into that state where I'm just so consumed by that moment. And I found that, you know, I'll spend all night just sitting there crying. And I started actually journaling to him because I found a few months ago, um, because actually the last time it was six weeks after he passed. So I'm coming up to nine months almost. Mm. So it's actually been a while since we had our last. So you know, I just, one night I just felt like I needed to write him a letter. And so I kind of started writing to him all the time, um, with, as things were coming up for me. And I found that that was super therapeutic, that I was just able to say all the things I needed to say in this journal to him. Mm. And it's been really beneficial, um, just to help me get my emotions out. And, and there, there there's still times where I completely have these breakdowns where, you know, it just feels like, it's still unbelievable to me that he's gone. It's just totally unbelievable. And, you know, I, I don't know. And, and I actually got a call from the coroner's office like, oh, gosh, I was right in finals for school and um, in this last semester. And like, I thought I was going to have relief with that phone call. And it was actually quite the opposite. I literally like pretty much buckled to the floor. It, mm. Like it, it was just like, it brought me back right to that day. It was that exact, all of it just consumed me in it. And I really had to take a couple days to process that news. And, you know, it was everything I thought it was. What was the news? Um, that he did die from a fentanyl overdose, you know? And so then it's all the feelings of, you know, just anger towards this epidemic and the system and that there's just not enough being done about this. And why is this being allowed into our country? You know, it's just, it's just unbelievable to me. Like they can, they can shut down the country due to uh, uh, COVID Mm -hmm. and take all these precautions and spend all this money. Mm Mm-hmm. But they can't do that with uh, fentanyl and and drugs and they won't put in the effort to save the lives of the people who are here living with loved ones that are dying. Yes. Um, But they'll do anything for, you know, for this COVID thing. Mm -hmm. Like that's always like drove me actually nuts. And there's so many more people dying from drug and alcohol addiction. Yes. And the families that suffer like as a ripple effect and all the sickness that comes from like the addict. And 
but they're they're not doing what they really could do, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a total another topic. And you know, you can tell that I I can get a little pissed off at our government because I don't believe that they're upholding their moral and um, actual duty to to keep us safe and. You know, they're legalizing cocaine now in mm-hmm. B.C. and they've legalized marijuana. And, you know, I know a lot of people would go against me for my beliefs on, you know, I think that's a terrible idea. But in the mm-hmm. long picture and the extrapolate over time, I think that's just going to really devastate our our population and our country in a way where we might not see it, but it's going to happen that way, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's tough. It's a tough, you know. I, I do understand it from both sides in the way of, you know, how many people are incarcerated from, you know, maybe having small amounts of drug possession and, you know, and so like legalizing it in that regard of like, mm-hmm. you know, actually putting real criminals into jail instead of people that are addicts, you know, and I understand it in that regard, but I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, it's just, it's insanity to me. It's like, look at this epidemic, you know, it's like, there's just so, there's just such a total system failure. And I get so pissed off and angry about it all of the time, you know, and you feel like helpless, you know, it's just, cause it's just, it's everywhere. And it's just becoming so apparent now, like before you couldn't, you couldn't see it everywhere. You can just see it everywhere, everywhere you go now. It's just there in your face. And it's like, we cannot ignore this anymore. You know, I, it just, it breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart to see what is happening. And I work in the addictions field and, and I've seen like the legalization of marijuana and the number of young people that are, uh, be- you know, getting psychosis because of the mm-hmm. marijuana and how strong it is and mm-hmm. like they're addicted to it and they can't leave it alone. And then their anxiety and their depression and yes. all these things are ramping up because of the legalization of marijuana. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, cocaine, what's next? Fentanyl, like. Right. And what happens is these young kids coming into our world they see that these drugs are actually distributed by the government or by stores and it becomes normal. It's the new norm. It's very mm-hmm. similar to alcohol, right? We mm-hmm. grow up in a society where, oh, you're turning 18. Let's get you hammered for your first time if you've never drank before. Right. And let's maybe potentially start you down a, a terrible path of alcoholism. Yeah. And then we celebrate it. Right? Totally. And not not giving kids, you know, the tools without all that stuff. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like our society. It's just like, oh, if you've got this issue, I'll oh, go smoke a joint. Go have some booze. Like, that is it. Like, there's mm-hmm. like, I can't believe the conversations I have with people. And that is just the way it is for them. Yeah. It's like they can't even imagine just coping, just trying to figure out a way to cope. And, right. you know, that's the toughest thing to watch. And when you look at TV and the magazines and wherever we source our information, um, exactly like what you said is, you know, avoid pain at all costs. Mm -hmm. You know, here's a drug, here's a vacation, here's a retreat, here's a go for a massage, like whatever it is, like we're designed to be able to feel the feelings and go through the pain. And I'm not Mm -hmm. even going to say go through the pain because... Like you and I, we grow through the pain. That's right. right? 
And that's what I believe the creator gave us the ability to navigate that pain in a way for our own journey of healing and to help us stay humble and obtain more humility so that we can actually develop more love and compassion. And I believe creator gave us these tools to use, but our society guides us in a different way. And it actually is creating that spiritual malady, the sickness of society in essence. Hey, it's true. Like, you know, the only way out of the pain is to go through it. You have to go through it. And it's, it is meant to be there to teach you, you know, this is how you learn and this is how you grow. And it, you know, I can only speak for myself. And that has been the biggest thing is instead of avoiding it, instead of pushing it down is to actually allow it to be there because it actually goes as, you know, but if you just keep stuffing it down and I know this from my own experience of stuffing everything down for years. And like I said, I had so many physical symptoms, um, for me, and, and I know when I'm doing that because I actually have that same problem with myself now once I'm stuffing down because, oh, I'm too busy with school. I can't, I don't have time to deal with this right now. I start manifesting it in a physical way very quickly. And then I'm like, oh boy, you know, I need to actually sit down and just have nothing happening and allow this pain to be there, allow it to come up mm-hmm. rather than stuffing it down. And I think, you know, I think now today is so much harder for kids because there's just so much like we didn't have access to all these electronics and stuff right so now it's like computers and tablets and cell phones and like there's just so many distractions with with life for people that there's no you know there's just no quiet time to -hmm. sit with yourself and allow things to be there and really be able to think about them without you know having to google it you know, mm-hmm. like it's all there. It's all there in all of us. It's just, you just got to tune into it and, oh, it's rough. When you talk about some of the manifestation into the physical form, and you said through your own experience, um, what had you manifested that came out in a physical form? Oh my gosh. I've had shingles of my face, <laughs> which was really lovely. Um, I've had... And, and like I had it once, it was painful and crazy. Um, I've had like psoriasis on my face. I've had this crazy face rash that comes and goes. Um, I have lupus flare-ups. I have like the most bizarre things. And I'm, and I'm a really healthy person. Like Mm -hmm. I take really good, you know, I take really good care of myself. Um, yeah, like migraines, Mm. you know, just those kind of things. And I, and I, believe that those are a hundred percent from stress because when I don't have any stress, like if I go, go away somewhere, I totally feel great. And there's no, like when I'm not having to worry about everything or think I'm needing to worry about all this stuff, there's no issue. Mm -hmm. But when I start stuffing stuff down and like the overwhelm just from being in school and try to manage working and everything like that, I mean, I'm sick the whole entire time. It's, it's insanity to me. But yet it's like, I'm trying to reach a goal, but you know, it's, there's a, there's a price to pay. Yeah. That's for sure. Right. And you know, some of these goals per se are set, you know, um, I know you're a good, you're in good shape spiritually and one of the most emotionally balanced women that I've met in a long time. And, and you've done a lot of work on yourself to get there. Like you've told me stories of your past life where you were fucking batshit crazy, right? So you've 
you've done a lot of work on yourself and gotten to a place where you're like a pretty balanced woman. Um, and when we talk about these goals, a lot of the, I'm going to say younger people or people that, you know, um, don't really know or understand part of what we're talking about. And I don't want to sound any superior because that's not the goal here. Um, just like unknowing, maybe they are. Mm, totally. Um, these goals that they're pressured into mm-hmm. going through school, the marks that they're supposed to get, mm-hmm. you know, what they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to achieve it. You know, you're supposed to be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant or, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of the kids have so much pressure. And these are aspects of you talked about the system earlier. Mm -hmm. These are aspects of the system that create the spiritual sickness. Totally. And then we need to blot it out because that stress of life and the mental stress and then us not achieving certain goals or, you know, achievements that maybe we thought we were supposed to Mm -hmm. and then we create some shame in our subconscious because we're not living up to what we're told we should be Mm. and then we need to blot that out and you know Mm -hmm. the drugs and alcohol you know for the people that start using it it's usually some type of you know a little bit of relief and I'm not saying that it's a bad thing if you can do it moderately in a proper way but a lot of people end up becoming dependent over years totally and then become addicts and get hooked on it and and then they're you know in some ways they're also uh stigmatized and and then they have mm-hmm. the guilt and shame because they can't put it down right so our totally. like our whole system is kind of fucked and so it's set up it's set up this way right it's that high pressure you know and, and believe me, I go through this in my brain all the time because I'm like, God, the cost on my health for being, you know, to try to just get through this program that's really hard. It's just, it's insanity. It really is insanity. You know, I contemplate dropping out constantly because I'm like, I literally feel like I'm going to just crumble. You know, I can't, like, I can't do, I, like, I don't know how people go on and on for years doing, it's, it's hard, mm-hmm. you know, and the system isn't set up to give a crap. It's like, this is what you need to do. (laughs) So just do it. You know, I wish it was, I always think in my mind, it needs to be different. You know, they really need to be taking people's mental and spiritual health into account and their physical health, because it does affect you in all of those Mm -hmm. ways. There's like every single part of you is affected. And, you know, but that's just like in everything. And you're right. Like, People are picking up and and gosh, it would be so easy to do that just to get you through. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, it's that coping thing. And then kind of on that same topic, like some of the value systems that our society has, I'm going to say like relationships, when people meet each other when they're younger, I'm not saying that they don't have some attraction and maybe there's not some love there, but a Mm -hmm. lot of the value system of why people get together is based on that security of the financial and material security and, Mm. you know, the protection of what the man might give the women or um, maybe, you know, the the presumption of how that parent will be as a father down the road. And, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of like underlying a lot of those like perceptions, there's fear under it. Right. Right. Yeah. And and when you base a relationship on a foundation of fear, Mm. You know, inevitably it's going to fail. Right. So like teaching people and our kids in school, like how to be vulnerable, how to communicate, 
understanding that people have filters that they both communicate through and interpret other people's communication through and really trying to teach us how to like love each other mm-hmm. so that that foundation of love with between two parents actually persists through the whole relationship and it doesn't burn down after five or 10 or 15 years. Right. And the thing about these relationships is often people will stay in them and they're unhealthy. Right. Yeah. And so they're like dishonoring themselves even more because the fear of leaving and, you know, and how am I going to support myself? You know, we're built our life on two incomes and mm-hmm. I don't want to go through a divorce and right. or whatever. Right. Yeah. But people are dishonoring their truth, like fucking all over the place. Right? Yeah. Um, it's a tough one. It is. It's a tough one. Yeah. And why I bring that up is because I want to kind of give our listeners like a, a broader view of like. The spiritual sickness, right? Mm-hmm. And part of what you talked about a couple times now is the physical. Mm-hmm. So when we live in a state of continual disturbance and fear mm-hmm. and stress, we create ulcers, you know, we get heart attacks, we get, you know, anxiety and depression and, oh, totally. and all of these things. Yeah, right? totally. I heard of the story this guy was telling me about. It was on social media. I, I heard it on social media. And this guy looked at like African people that don't really have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And these people will often not have depression, not have anxiety. They don't have the mental health issues that we have. Right. Because they're always in purpose of trying to live and um, love their family and do things as a community. And so they don't have what we have here. Totally. Right. Totally. We're just totally disconnected as a society. Like if you just look at it, I mean, it's just, we're just totally disconnected. You were disconnected with mother nature. We're disconnected with our family systems. You know, um, marriages are disconnected a lot of the time, like you're saying, you know, and, and I was actually listening to a podcast this morning, and I think it was Jordan Peterson was talking, you know, about studies that they looked at of, you know, how kids are faring in divorced single mother homes. And they're, it's not good. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if their mom's wealthy even. It's still not good. They actually do better in, in with having both of their parents together. Um, and we all know that's easier said than done. But it just seems we are in a society where it's just so quick to just be like, no, I can't do this, right? And But a lot of the time, I think it's just, you know, we're just not working on ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and and maybe people will say, well, I do work on myself, but my partner's not. And that's the thing, right? So it's like, it's tough. It's really tough. I'm definitely not a relationship expert whatsoever. So it's a tough one. You know, I, I mean, I have a lot of regret. You know, sometimes I wish I would have been able to make it work in my relationship. And then I think, gosh, maybe, you know, things wouldn't have happened with my kids that they, that they did, you know. Okay, well, a lot of guilt for let, that. let's go back into that and say, okay, and if you had stayed in it, mm-hmm. would you have been selling out your own truth? Well, yeah, I, I feel like I would have, you know, but then part of me is like, well, I don't know, maybe, I, maybe if I just would have worked harder, you know, I'm a perfectionist, so that's like always in my head, you know, I should have tried harder. But it was like, I tried for 16 years and, right. and again, when you're in a relationship with an addict, it's, it's really difficult, right? It's like a whole other, it's not just relationship troubles. There's just like, there's just that other layer to it. 
where mm-hmm. you're the codependent person and so to the physical illnesses that kind of are manifested through negative mental health mm-hmm. issues kind of driven by negative spiritual health some people may not really understand that but whatever um Yeah, we're good. Um, some people may not understand that, but uh, that's okay. Um, what, what I'm actually talking about is uh, when we work with like authentic truth of love for ourselves, mm-hmm. we communicate in love, we have compassion, we try to live of service, we are connected to ourselves, mm-hmm. to our, our fellows around us, to nature, mm-hmm. to our own self-awareness, I guess. When we get disconnected from that and we're isolating, like you say, we end up fucking creating a lot of mental health issues. Then we go into the doctor and we're saying, okay, what's wrong with me? Why? Again, because we've been trained to do that. Yeah. And I know you do a lot of holistic medicine, right? And naturopath type stuff, right? Yeah. And my girlfriend is the exact same way. And um, they see you guys seem to be the healthiest people I know. And you're not like going to the doctor every time you feel something like you'd probably be just laid out on drugs if you were at the doctor every time you had something you're grieving or whatever right oh 100 percent. they're more than willing to give you stuff for all of the ailments there's never once have i ever gone to the doctor and they've said how how's your mental health like how are you doing spiritually nothing there's never or how's your diet you know like how many people go to the doctor and it's just like they never even ask them how their diet is like Maybe that they're eating horrific food, and it, which causes a lot of mental illness as well, just, just through our food. It's like it's actually crazy how much we consume that has an impact on us, and people don't know that, mm-hmm. you know? But their doctor should actually know that. And instead of giving them drugs to just cover up whatever they've got going on, is actually to have these conversations to see what's happening in your life. Like, why are they not asking you that? Why are they not saying... You know, what's happening at home? Are you okay? Like, are you under a great deal of stress? Like, it's really just never like that. That's never been my experience. It's like, oh, you know, you're not, you're feeling sad. Well, here's an antidepressant for you, Mm -hmm. you know, to help you get through. Well, that just blows my mind because I'm just like, yeah, there's, there's, there's times where people absolutely need them. Mm -hmm. But like, I, in my mind, it's like, after you have exhausted you know, done a super big inventory on your whole life and to see where you can make those improvements before you get to that place. Right. Mm -hmm. And this has been like a, you know, um, for me has just been like a process, right. It's been over years. I've been figuring all this out. Like I think probably now like 15 or 16 years I've been kind of changing up my life and, Mm -hmm. you know, figuring all these things out because well, let's look at it. Why, why do you think a doctor wouldn't want to ask you these questions and then, you know, write you a prescription and say, have a good one. I'll see you in three weeks to refill your prescription. My guess is probably because they get paid per visit per customer. Mm-hmm. And they also probably get a kickback from the drugs that they're selling. Yeah. And so money is the basis of probably what a lot of, you know doctors do Mm -hmm. you know i'm not saying all doctors are like that or everything kind of is that black and white but right when you look at 
you know, how our world works, man. The pharmaceutical companies are kind of in control and they run the fucking show and you're pretty much running our government too. And when you get like, you know, I don't want to get into the conspiracy theory of COVID and shit. We agree a lot in the same aspects, but you know, there's been a lot of uh, investigating done and there's been some proof that, you know, there's been a lot of coercion between the governments and these pharmaceutical companies and Bill Gates and his push for the vaccine and then he sold his stocks and then he kind of came out and talked you know that the vaccine actually wasn't as good as he thought it was Mm. right just there's so many of these red flags all over the place right and our society's kind of fucked with the governments and the media and just everything it's a lot it's a lot and people are feeling it right now you know just like again it's that total system failure and it's just everybody's feeling you know this this terrible feeling right now and i talk to a lot of people and you know and it's just it's a lot it's a lot mhm mhm and so of course that amplifies people's emotions and the need to use and you know all those things so mm-hmm. yeah when we kind of switching back to to what we originally were talking about mm-hmm. switching back to what we originally were talking about um when you are interacting with like family members and people that knew Taylor really well mm-hmm. and who also you know really loved him and and grieve for his loss mm-hmm. how does how do you and them interact is it like awkward for them or for you or do you find that they don't really want to talk about it or is it openly talked about and you guys celebrate his life or like how does that go with the other family members that really cared about him yeah you know it's it's different like there there's some people that they're definitely scared to bring his name up and i don't want that right so i'm constantly talking about it um you know I think people feel bad. Some people feel bad that, you know, maybe they weren't there um, enough or, you know, some people just, they're not comfortable talking about death. Um, and some people, you know, they just ask me how I'm doing. How are you doing? Are you okay? Do you need anything? You know, um, it's, it's really interesting, you know, kind of what happens with when you lose someone, you know, and particularly your child, is I think people just don't really know what to say to you. And I totally respect that. You know, I understand everybody doesn't know how to to ask. I mean, I think, you know, well-intentioned people sometimes say things that, you know, maybe upset me, but it's not, I don't blame them. You know, I understand that they just don't know. Like, I think sometimes when people say to me, well, at least he's at peace now. I mean, it just, for me, that's like, seriously, you don't fucking know he's at peace. Right. And so it's, (laughs) it's, it's upsetting almost to me to hear it because I feel like I go in those waves where I feel like I don't know any truth. Right. And then I think, I don't know that he's at peace. I actually don't know any of it. And, you know, and I think that's when I'm really in a kind of a dark place of mm. my grieving. And so, again, I'm not upset that people say like that. Like, I don't really take it, but it's just in the, those moments where I'm really raw and vulnerable that I'll feel like, you know, mm. I just feel like sometimes I just don't know anything and none of us do. Mm. Right. So there's still that part of me that's still wondering, you know, 
where is he? Where, you know, where did he go and why hasn't he come to see me like I thought he was going to? And I was listening or I was reading something the other day and they were talking about grieving and and they were saying when you are in these really low vibrating, you know, in a low vibration where sadness kind of lies in that low vibrating energy, you know, your loved one can't come to you because they're in such a high vibrating place that that's where you need to meet them. And so when I read that, Hmm. I actually was like taken back a bit because I was like, that makes sense to me. And I've been vibrating in this sadness, even though, um, you know, everybody says to me, you know, you seem so happy, but yet, you know, we can tell that you're probably holding it on to this pain. You must be. And I'm like, well, of course, but I also try to be a positive person to everybody, you know, and I don't want to like, I don't know. I don't, I don't show my emotions that way. You know, I just try to bring light to to everyone. I don't want to be that person that's like, you know, wandering around crying and stuff. Like I, I do cry and I do have my emotions, but I do it in my time, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been interesting family, my family, you know, they, they're more likely to bring it up you know, to talk about him. And, and I just was out with his best friends, uh, for a couple of his best friends, um, for lunch the other day. And we were sitting around talking, you know, different stories about him. And, and, um, I went home and I, I was, I was happy and I was sad, you know, because I look at them and they're just so lovely and I'm just sad that he's not here, you know, Mm. and it's just painful. And, um, yeah, that's just, that's just kind of where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jordan Peterson also talks about, uh, in one of his talks that I've heard, he's like, you know, when your father dies, he uses the father's example. Mm-hmm. He's like, when your father dies, you know, stand up and be be someone that can help plan the funeral and be someone who can like people can lean on and like, like be there for them mm-hmm. and don't like go down that trap of full self pity. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's what I think I've seen in you, right. You've been able to, to grieve it mm-hmm. and to move through it and you have waves of it, mm-hmm. but you're always, you're always like a source of inspiration or a source of light and you know and i think part of part of our society i think even has you know the belief systems that we walk around with is i i'm supposed to always be sad if i'm i know i lost this person right and i don't know if that's necessarily true i'm yeah there's some sadness but is it should i always be sad because this person is no longer in my life i think a lot of that can also be like a societal belief system that you're supposed to be sad Mm -hmm. because i've known people that have had someone die and they're actually not doing too bad right and then when i've talked to them they're like it almost like when i talk to people like they're they try to shame me for being happy and okay with it yeah. They tell me that I should be in worse shape than I am. And right. Why? And like, 
Because I think that people are trained to think that you should always be in this place when you're thinking about somebody that you lost. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I don't know what your belief is, but my belief is nobody belongs to me and nobody did belong to me. My kids don't belong to me. And like, you know, all I can do is love them and try to be that strength and that pillar and compassion and love and and sometimes discipline for them. Um, and I leave it up to fucking the universe, up to my creator. And when I really took the position that they weren't my kids, it kind of allowed me to disconnect from like the possession of that was mine mm-hmm. or that's mine. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if I have a favorite like glass and and that's just my glass and I smash it and then I'm really sad, right? It's kind of the same in a relationship. When I'm like, oh, that's just the glass that I love using. I'm going to respect it and, and treat it really well. And when it's gone, it's gone, you know. Um, you know, and thank God, you know, I don't know if you know, but my one daughter, she smoked fentanyl about uh, four months ago. Oh, shit. She, uh, yeah, she quit school and um, had, you know, she was giving signs months ago prior to Christmas. And uh, this is what happened. So she was in recovery. She did really well. Um, And this is what a lot of people do. They do well. And then they want to change everything. And they want to go to school. And they want to get this job. And they want to get in these relationships. And they want everything right now. Yeah. You know, and so she kind of went a step ahead. And her and her mom arranged for her to get into school and do these things. And, you know, my opinion was maybe she needed a little bit more time to groove this new way of life into her life before she put the pressure of school. And like you said, at school, there's a lot of work and they inundate you with homework. Mm -hmm. She felt that exact thing and she was ready to kind of give up before Christmas. Mm -hmm. But she talked with me and she talked with her mom and we kind of were like, you know, maybe you should stick it out, at least get through the semester. And and then she got into the the new year and, you know, one day it just came crashing down and she ended up going out and finding some dudes on the streets in Lethbridge and asking them if they knew where there was some Xanax or whatever. And they didn't. And they found her fentanyl. Oh, God. And the thing is, is these guys showed her how to use Narcan and said, don't do it by yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think they even went to the hospital with her to get her the Narcan before she even used it. And then she used it Mm -hmm. that night. and then. She sent me a text saying, I got to get out of here before I die. And then I called her. I think she sent me that in the middle of the night and I called her the next day. And then she, she let me know, right? And like, that was fucking scary for me because I could have lost her. And who knows? Yeah. Right. Luckily, you know, oh, she. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know that. And you didn't. Yeah. Well, no. We haven't really talked. No. Um, we're going to talk about this, but let's go back to what you were talking about before, just so I can wrap up the, you know, the grief thing mm-hmm. of you talking about, you know, how, what people expect our societal mm-hmm. beliefs on grieving. Yeah. Everybody gets to grieve however the hell they want to grieve. Mm-hmm. I will not be told how I get to grieve or how I don't get to grieve. Nobody knows how anybody is actually doing. Only you as an individual, right? So I will not be told how to grieve. If I'm going to meet my son up in a high vibrating 
place, mm-hmm. you're damn fucking right. I am going to lift myself up to that place to meet him. Mm-hmm. I am not going to sit down wallowing in misery and pain and shame and guilt. I just, I can't do it. I go in waves of it, but I will pull myself out of it because I won't meet him there. Right. And so, and I'm not saying I'm right up here either. I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to get there and like, it's a process and I'm not there and I'm trying my best to just get there. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to just touch on that because I think, and, and, and if you're, if you're on in curled up for five years in fetal, that is okay too. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that is, that is your way of grieving and Mm -hmm. there's just nothing wrong with it. But I think when people come in and then they start telling us how we're supposed to do things Mm -hmm. like it's just i don't nobody needs to hear that everybody just needs to be supported where they're at and it's all okay so that's all i needed to say on that okay on that Mm -hmm. do you believe in the societal five stages of grief i mean it's funny because i'd actually done a project on that when I was doing addictions <laughs> studies, right? And, um, you know, I can see that you go through all of those things. Absolutely. But I don't think you go through them in any order and, and you go actually around in different things. You know, like, like I said, when I got the news from the coroner telling me that it was, you know, fentanyl, I, I had already had that in my head the whole entire time, you know, but because there was a heart issue as well, I kept just thinking, oh, maybe it was his heart, you know, and then I was going to go down that rabbit hole of like, oh my God, you know, start blaming the doctor should have picked up on this and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, um, yeah. Now I've just lost my train of thought. (laughs) It's just gone. It just got wiped out. I'm sorry. We were talking about how the five stages of grief. Okay. Maybe they're, they're there, but we kind right. of go bounce all over. You bounce them. all through them. There's no, like, there is no, oh, you go through this stage and then you go through this stage. That It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. And everybody's totally different. And you may stay in one of those stages for a really long time and then you might come out of it. And, and you might not do all those stages. So I don't even believe you go through all of them. Or maybe you go through all of them right away. You know, like I went through all of those stages very quickly, all in like two or three days you know, and then, and then I would find myself back into a different stage of it, you know? And so I, it's just all over the place. There is no. But is that not what they were teaching you in school that that's kind of the process? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, that was kind of the, the basic process, but again, a lot of books that I've read, they said, no, like, Mm -hmm. you know, no, it's not like that. There is no, and everybody just does it differently, you know? And that's what I'm finding is like, I can be just trucking along and and feeling pretty good. And then all of a sudden it was like, I just literally ran into a wall head on and it smacks me right down. Mm -hmm. And it's like, whew, here we go again. Am I going to get through this? That's my first thought. Am I actually going to get through this? Am I going to end up not being able to get out of bed? You know, and I think that I have, you know, my grandkids, I think have helped me a lot to be able to get through. Um, because I just have to, you know, be there for them and show them that you can get through these things and they're, they're hard. There's no, like, there's no, 
it's painful. I can't even like, I can't even express how painful this is to go through, Mm -hmm. you know, and parents that are maybe listening, they, that have gone through this, they know exactly what I'm talking about because you can only understand when you're in it, Mm -hmm. what this feels like, right? There's just every single emotion that you can possibly have is just boom. And like you were just talking about your daughter and, you know, that must've brought up so much pain just at that thought that you could have lost her that night Mm -hmm. because she was by herself and she wasn't, you know, um, with someone there that could have been watching her. Right. Like it's just, there, there's just such a small degree of separation, you know, like when people think that, Oh no, that can't happen. Damn right. It happens just like that, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you'd be sitting here Yeah. exactly through it right and it's just ugh, i'm just so glad that she has you for her dad and that you know you do what you do and she's able to t- to call you like she feels safe to call you and she knows that you're going to show up for her mm-hmm. right and how's she doing now she's doing really good Aww. she's doing really good that, good that day the next day we talked and we had a really good talk and we talked about her school and her work and you know her recovery program that she was neglecting ultimately and mm-hmm. <coughs> talked about many things mm-hmm. and she was scared to ask if she could just come home right right and because of again that pressure it's the pressure and the and the failure thing yeah. like oh i'm going to be you everybody's going to think i'm a failure yeah. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks at all. It's like that is like the worst pressure we put on ourselves is who cares what anybody thinks. But when you're young and in your 20s, you always are caring about what people think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the hardest thing. And then, you know, as you get older, you stop that. Mm-hmm. Most of the time you stop really caring what people think. Mm-hmm. Like right now, you know, like I say, I talk about it all the time. I talk literally about quitting because I feel like, God, I need to actually like stop and just relax and like, you know. Um, but I don't really care what anybody thinks about it, to be Mm -hmm. honest. It's, it's up to me now Mm -hmm. at this point of how I'm feeling. And if I'm not feeling like this is going to work and it's making me suffer, then, you know, I got to stop. Yeah. And so she was uh, asking me what I thought. And I said, Lucy, if you need to come home, you need to come home. Mm Mm-hmm. And because she didn't have a lot of friends there and her environment at work was, you know, she just went to work. She didn't use or drink or anything, but a lot of that environment, because she worked at a, at a bar. Right. She was a hostess at a bar and some of her friends drank and, but that was the environment. Right. And then other than that, she didn't have a lot of friends. Right. Um, so the new two new friends that she did make and what she had done for a decision that night, I was scared shitless that. That could happen again. Right. So I want her to come home like as quick as possible. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So she got back home and I said, you know, let your landlord know like blah, 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 that you're going to move out in like a month or two and just get home and come spend time with your mom. Mm-hmm. Right. Go to your mom's, get back connected with your sister and your family, and then we'll just take it one step at a time and, you know, don't worry about anything. Right. Because... We love you. That's all that matters. And mm. there's no need to feel guilty or bad no. or you're not a failure. No. Like none of that shit. None of those things. 
And I think if there's anything I've taught my kids is every experience is just a little step in the direction of our life. And it doesn't, there's nothing that's wrong or right. Right. Yep. And so she's doing good now. Oh, good. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Makes me happy. And my other daughter's struggling with stuff and, um, but she also reaches out and calls and, you know, so, and I think, you know, no matter what, as long as you give your kids love and you give them compassion, you give them these things and, you know, no matter what they go through, um, and life's going to get their hands on them and life's going to have a chance to kick their ass yep. and take their fucking life possibly. Yeah. I always say you give them everything you can and life gets their hands on them and it's a 50-50 crapshoot. Yep. That's so true. And for you, you know, it didn't work out on that 50-50 crapshoot. Mm-hmm. Right. So far for me, it, it has worked out mm-hmm. because I truly believe, you know, if Taylor would have been able to make it through all that hard shit, all the love that you'd given him would have, you would have come back to that and it would have probably carried him for the rest of his life. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. But it's those twenties and the early thirties that you got to make it through. Right. Oh yeah. I know. I know. That's the thing. That's the hard. Even you, when did you smarten up in your life? Um, in what regard? Like, where you finally said, you know what, I'm fucking kind of taking responsibility for my own path and whatever societal belief systems or whatever you were supposed to do, you kind of said, fuck it, I'm, I'm taking another path. It started in my early 30s. Right. Like it started, right. you know, but like, you know, it's many layers. Yeah. And so, you know, it's always this evolution. You think you got it and then you get smacked in the face with with a whole bunch of other stuff that you need to just keep dealing like different things. You're just dealing constantly with different things and you know, you just keep going that way. And then eventually you just, you know, Mm -hmm. you kind of get ahead of, it almost feels like you get ahead of it and then, yeah, you still get things, but you've learned from all these other past things, you know, you've almost got this really great armor, you know, that you're able to be like, okay, Mm -hmm. okay. You know, Taylor by far was the most painful um, thing I've ever, I've ever experienced. And I, I just miss him. I just miss him. You know, Mm. I miss our daily phone calls and I miss his hugs and I just miss his sense of humor and his sweet little laugh. And, you know, um, but I've got lots of memories and I got lots of pictures and videos and, you know, so where's Bowser? He's actually with my mom, which no is no way. Yeah, yeah. He, she, and her husband adopted him, and so he's very happy. He's very spoiled. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was great. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Wanted to ask you something that's kind of in a different direction. Mm-hmm. You were a single mom. Yep. From. Uh, how old would I have been? Like 35? And how old were the boys? Taylor was like 14 and Rye was like 11. Mm. Mm-hmm. So like I'm in recovery, right? And, and I know many single moms and women in recovery with kids and whatnot. And, you know, and my, my girlfriend's a single mom and my ex wife is now a single mom mm-hmm. of, of older kids of course but 
like I just see again back to the system, like single moms are very weakly supported, wouldn't you say? And they don't really have like a lot of avenues to really go and better themselves down. Oh, yeah, totally. And like I find a lot of the women that come into recovery that are not able to really pursue their recovery mm. because of the obstacles in regards to like they got to constantly be a parent. Right. Whereas the father's not as much. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and I, I know like lately around Calgary, like our rents have gone through the roof, right? Yeah. Did your rent go up? Uh, not yet, but it's coming up for renewal soon. So hmm. I'm anticipating that's coming. I'm like, oh, I'm so I see all these people on Facebook, like mm-hmm. putting, posting about like my rent's gone up or yeah. I can't find a place. And right. primarily it's women. Yep. And, uh, so my girlfriend, her rent went up $800 <gasps> in one Holy month. Holy cow. That's insanity. Yeah. And like, that's insanity to me. Like, how is somebody, especially in our depressed economy, like, are you kidding me? $800 for a single mom? Mm -hmm. Like, how is she supposed to afford that? I mean. And there's nowhere for her to really get, like, the help that she needs. And she's not looking for handouts really either, right? She's looking like she talks to politicians and calls her MLA. And she's like, like, where's the rent cap? Like, yeah, like. Like our society is like struggling right now and food is like at an all time high and you can't even, you know, two bags of groceries cost you 150 bucks. Totally. Totally. Right. But they're so consumed with the, you know, the climate, (laughs) climate action and, you know, having to tax us up the butt for all that too. And it's like, holy cow, like how much more can our society take? And again, it goes back to, you know. People are so stressed out and of course they're using, right? Like it's just, Mm -hmm. it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And it's like, there's no money being put toward helping that, this giant issue, you know, because we're helping, uh, you know, other countries with their issues instead of helping our own country with all of our issues. And we have so many issues here that I just, it just, it just pisses me off. And, you know, I can go on and on about this and I don't want to get into political things on your podcast, but, you know, as a society, we have to start standing up to this because this isn't right. Mm-hmm. This is not right. And it's not getting better, you know? No, it's just getting worse. It's getting worse. Yeah. And why I brought that up is just because, you know, I see like my girlfriend struggling to, you know, make ends meet. Mm-hmm. University student finally got her master's in what she was going for and now she's entering into the workforce in a different way Mm -hmm. she's not she's got to navigate this process and you know and to some degree even being a woman it's a little harder to do right right and uh now she's got to like figure out how to make 800 extra dollars in a month and still raise her kids Mm -hmm. and you know the one father's a terrible father he's not the best father and he's got mental health issues and she has that added stress, so she has to give her son, like, more time. And, like, you know, man, I have, like, my heart goes out to, to mothers. and It's hard. It's a hard go. Yeah. I've, I've said that the whole entire time. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, a, it's harder for women. It actually is really harder because of the jobs. Like, you know, I said it, it's definitely easier 
you know, I mean, it's not, you know, some women would probably argue, well, I, I can do the jobs that men do, but I know just for me personally, that just wasn't an option. I didn't want to be a roofer or a framer or work up on an oil rig. Like that's just, you know, it's just not my thing. Right. And it's like, I just, I'll admit I'm a total, like, I'm a wimp. There'd be no way I could do it. And I don't, don't claim, I won't claim that I could, you know, props to you if you can. Right. Um, and I totally think that's awesome and I'm not dissing any women. I think that's great if you can actually do those things, but I know for myself, I'm just simply not strong enough to do that. Right. And, um, and yeah, I've struggled for a lot of years since, you know, leaving my husband, it's been, it's been a rough go. There's no question about it. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's just much easier having a second person living with you, whether it's a roommate or whatever, right? Cause you can split on food and you can, you know, you can kind of split on everything. So it's a lot easier than when you're just on your own. And then when you're on your own and you're a single parent, and then you've got, you know, a spouse that isn't contributing, um, you know, mine didn't, didn't give me anything, no child support or anything. So ever? I ever, never, he just didn't feel like he needed to. And I never took him to court. I never did any of that. So I had that responsibility of taking care of the kids. And like I said, the kids would kind of migrate back and forth. And, um, uh, but mainly, you know, Taylor was typically always with me. And so, and even my other son, it was always like I would, you know, he would come down and I'd have to pay for all the dental bills and all the school clothes and everything that dad wasn't doing right. And it was always on me and dad was making way more money than I was. And it was just like this huge heaviness, but I never even considered it. I just went without for myself. It was just always making sure they were taken care of, you know? And so that's a, it's a huge stressor for sure. And it's, it's a lot. Hang on, I think we're recording. I'm positive we're recording. Okay. Okay, so Robin, so we're kind of coming to the end here and uh um have you had any other mothers reach out to you or have you pursued any of that angle of like you know, trying to serve other parents that might have been affected by, you know, some of the same things that you've been affected by? I, I have not done anything yet because I've been so consumed with school and work that I just, yeah, I haven't had time, but I, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and, you know, trying to figure out where I can be of service. So that's, that's, it's there. Mm -hmm. It's going to evolve into something. I know it will. Mm -hmm. I feel like it will. Cause I feel like, you know, there's so many of us out there that something needs to change. We need to support each other for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. There's just, yeah. You need to have other parents that know what you're going through. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just not, you know, it's, it's like, of course, everybody is supportive. Um, but just some people just don't totally understand. Right. And so it's really good to have. Yeah. I don't know where I'd be without the support network that I've built in my recovery. 
Mm-hmm. And like you're also in recovery, right? You're in a different kind of recovery. Totally. But in the kind of under the surface of it all, we're in the same recovery because you're recovering from hurt and trauma mm-hmm. and old patterns and, you know, coping mechanisms. And that's what I'm recovering from ultimately, too. And my mind just takes me to fucking drink or use drugs. Right. Right. Yeah. So. so yeah, I hope I hope that fellowship that you crave grows up about you and and I hope that you you're the spearhead that you that you are, right? I hope that you you honor that part of yourself cuz I remember you saying before you didn't want Taylor to die in vain and you felt like you wanted to do something. And I know from my experience that sometimes whatever that something is, we don't know what it. Totally. Yeah. I haven't known. And I spent many years praying and meditating on what my path was. Mm-hmm. And my path has revealed itself to many degrees. But like I was talking with Courtney, my girlfriend, the other day, I said, there's still things that I don't know mm-hmm. that I wish the answers would come because I'm fucking I'm ready to fucking go here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. it's on God's time, creator's time sometimes. And I just have to mm. kind of be patient. So, you know, any closing remarks um to the listeners you know i'm thinking of this one person in particular who i know had lost her daughter Mm -hmm. and you know maybe if you could speak to her and she's struggling in her addiction right now again she went out recently i think and or i don't know exactly where she's at but you know if you could look at her and tell her something or anybody out there you know, as you're kind of, how many months into this now? Going on to nine. Nine? Yeah. Which feels crazy that it's already been nine months. Hmm. Yeah. We'll give a little message of hope out there for anyone who, who's a parent that might be going through something similar. I also know another lady and her family that went through something tragic recently, too. Oh, my heart goes out to them. You know, it's, this is not, this is not an easy road and you just have to be so kind and gentle to yourself, you know, and again, just allow your process is your process, right? And just don't, you know, don't go and retreat to yourself, you know, just because people need you, right? Like people still need you and, and I, When I say that, I mean, like, you don't have the capability to really be there for people or, you know what I mean? Like, I really had to be really gentle on myself because I'm always that person that's there for people and I want to help as much as I can. But I went, I just have gone, I'm just kind of coming back out of my shell again to do that again. But for those few months, those first few months, I just, I just literally had nothing in me to be able to give to anyone. And so you really have to allow just to give it to yourself, you know, just be there and be kind and gentle to yourself. And it's just, it's hard. It's just so hard. Mm. But, you know, there's just, there's so much beauty in grieving too. You know, like, I think that there's a lot of times now that I just, I stop and I'm really just enjoying everything that's happening no matter what it is you know like i'm just trying to just it 
so hard to explain. <laughs> I'm like trying to like articulate this. It's like, oh, but I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to follow, like I always say to myself now, what would Taylor want me to do in this situation? You know, what would he want me to do right now? And then that's how I'm acting. That's how I'm going out in the world is what he would want me to be doing, you know? And yeah, that's, Mm -hmm. that's my, my nugget (laughs) so far. Yeah. That was amazing. I really had a good time chatting with you today and it's really good to see you. I haven't seen you in a little while. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It was good to see you too. So let's stay in touch and uh, thank you so much for coming and I can't wait for the next one. Sounds great. Thank you, William. Thanks, Robin. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to the UDR cast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. The viewpoints and the opinions expressed today were solely of the individual sharing them. If you resonated with this episode, please follow us and share this link with anyone that may benefit from it. Please visit us at billward.life to see everything that we have going on. We can recover one person, one family, one community at a time.